text today is in the book of Acts, chapter number 6 and 7. Chapter number 6 and 7 of the book of Acts, as we continue our studies through the book of Acts and the beginnings of the church that came after the resurrection of Christ. My Uncle Ed was my favorite person. He was a very intelligent fellow. He could do a lot of things. He was a very good farmer. He knew about cows better than almost anybody I ever met. I remember he went to an auction, bought a cow. And when he brought it home, everybody laughed at him. <laughs> Look at that thing. That old bag of bones will never amount to anything. Uncle Ed said, just feed it like I tell you to, and we'll see. So we fed it like he said. In one week, it was the best cow in the whole barn. Uh, he just knew what to do, and he could build houses. He started a business when he was young, building houses. I remember I asked him once, how do you know how to build things? He said, well, I look at it, and I figure it out. <laughs> I don't think everybody can do that. He could fix machinery. I remember other farmers used to bring him combines to fix. And on the back of the combine was a huge, long belt with about 12 pulleys. And when the belt came off, they'd bring it over, and he'd say, well, it goes like this, bing, 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 bing. About 30 seconds he had it all on. He had been a tree surgeon in his life. He had run a grocery store. He was full of information about a lot of things. He was what you would call a true Connecticut Yankee. Uh, but he only went to school through the eighth grade. And his thirst for knowledge made him a self-educated man. He told me at the end of the Depression, he was making $100 profit a day when everybody else was barely surviving. He was the most educated, uneducated man I ever knew. In our text today, we're going to meet a very knowledgeable man who was also uneducated. And we'll see how all that works out. Now, we've been studying the books of Acts as it tells us how the church came to be. And it's an amazing start. And the 11 disciples of Jesus that were leaders in that early church. And one of the ideas behind the opposition to the church by the Jewish leaders was based on their idea that the disciples were, as they called them, ignorant and uneducated men. The Jews had their school run by their rabbis where you got an education. And if you didn't go to one of the rabbi's schools, then you were considered ignorant and uneducated. That was one of the reasons they rejected Jesus of Nazareth. He never went to any school. He never sat under any rabbi for training. So they believed Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah. They all believed that the Messiah would come out of one of their schools. So Jesus, being uneducated, couldn't possibly be the Messiah. Now you recall they tried to trip him up with the fancy lawyer questions, but he so confounded them with his answers that it finally said nobody dared to ask him any more questions. 
Jesus didn't need their education to be wise. Now, in chapter 6 of Acts, a certain problem comes up. And there's so much to do for the disciples, teaching the gospel, preaching their sermons and praying, that there wasn't enough time to pass out food to the needy. So they chose seven men to wait on people and handle food distribution. Acts chapter 6, and we begin reading at verse number 3. Therefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. So one of the seven men chosen was this young man named Stephen, Probably, we think, no more than 20 years old. In verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, was very wise. It doesn't say he was wise because he had an education. The Bible says he was wise because he was filled with the Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit can reveal to us the things of God, the deep things of God even. And when Stephen started to do miracles, then he became a target for the opposition. In verse number 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Caesar. Stephen, but they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Stephen won every argument. He was like Jesus. They couldn't beat him in a debate. Well-educated men tried to trip him up, but they failed miserably. And he's barely a man, maybe 20 years old. So they decided to bring charges against him and they did what we call today suborning perjury or that is they get somebody else to lie about him and they got together lied about Stephen and they seized him bring him before the Jewish leaders and say he's teaching everybody to hate Moses number one and uh, telling us Jesus will destroy our religion and our temple And so he will stand up now to defend himself in front of the Jewish leaders. Verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now it says, (coughs) his face was shining like an angel's face. Now remember, The only other whose face ever shone, one was Moses on Mount Sinai, and the other one was Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, Stephen was accused of dishonoring Moses and promoting Jesus, so God made Stephen's face shine like Moses had, and they think Stephen 
was like Jesus, his face is shining. And when Jesus was going to the cross to die, remember what he said. He said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Now Stephen is about to preach a sermon. He's got that same thought in his heart. He's saying, oh yes, I delight to do your will. I love doing this. And his face shines as he stands up to preach. Somebody said to me once, your face shines. What do you put on it? <laughs> you know, I said, well, nothing, I guess. It's just me. Probably had a sunburn. My face doesn't shine, okay? But Stevens did. He's going to stand up and preach with a shining face. And it's going to be his last sermon. And it will be a good one, I'm sure. So this uneducated young man will preach a masterful sermon. In chapter 7, Stephen will begin his sermon. And he traces the history of God's promises to his chosen people. We won't read it all. You can read it later. He starts with God's promises to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants who will make up the Jewish nation. And from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he goes on to Joseph in Egypt. And then he goes ahead 400 years to Moses. Moses was the one they accused him of dishonoring. But he traces the history of Moses with the Jews and how they had refused to listen to Moses how they had preferred to worship idols, and how that idolatry was strong among God's chosen people. Then he explains the story of Joshua and King David and Solomon who built that first temple. Of course, they accused Stephen of trying to ruin the temple. So we're going to take up Stephen's sermon in just the last couple of sentences of it. Acts chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse number 47. Right, Acts 7, as Stephen wraps up his sermon, verse 47. But Solomon built God a house. Albeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath he not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, do you always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did? So do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you now have been the betrayers and murderers, who received the law by the disposition of angel and have not kept it. So that's quite a sermon. <laughs> Once again, he says to them, you murdered Jesus Christ. Because you always, he said, resist God. Well, there it is. A perfect history of the Jews ending with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Stephen tells them, you did it! You did it! Well, what happens next? Watch out. Here we go. Verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. 
And what is gnashing with your teeth? Not the words we use anymore. Uh, that means they got mad. They didn't just get a little upset. They're so angry, they clenched their teeth. Ah! They clenched their teeth. Rage. And the whole group is filled with rage. And then Stephen says something that will absolutely send them right over the edge. He's done preaching. He's finished his sermon. And he looks up with that shining face. He looks up and he has a vision. He sees something nobody else can see. He's not paying any attention to that angry crowd with their clenched teeth and their raging anger. He's not paying any attention at all. No, he's looking up and he sees something quite wonderful as he looks up. Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. All he did was tell what he saw. He was looking up there. He said, I see God up on his throne. And Jesus is standing next to him. Why these angry men had heard those exact words just a couple of months before. This was the Sanhedrin, the men who crucified Jesus, the Jewish leaders. They had put Jesus in tri- on trial. In that trial, they said to Jesus, All right, tell us the truth. Are you the Son of God or not? And Jesus answered, Yes, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of God. Now Stephen says, I can see up into heaven. And Jesus... The Son of Man is standing on the right hand of God. The very words Jesus used at his trial. Repeated now by Stephen. Not because Stephen is trying to get under their skin. He's just telling what he sees when he looks up to heaven. Talk about perfect timing. (laughs) There are men who tried Jesus And they mocked him. They called him a blasphemer. And now Stephen tells them, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of power. And believe me, they got the message. They remembered what Jesus had said. And they knew what Stephen was saying. My friends, it was like setting off a stick of dynamite. An explosion. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Screaming now, they cover their ears. We're not listening to you anymore. I did that once when I was a kid. I had a pastor that screamed and I covered my ears. My mother pulled my arms down quickly. (laughs) I said, he's so loud. She says, don't put your hand over your ears. (laughs) Not when the preacher's talking. 
I've wanted to do it since sometimes, but I haven't. But they did. They said, we're not going to listen to you anymore. And they covered their ears. We don't want to hear it. And we will do to you what we did to Jesus. And they turn into a howling mob. They grab Stephen and they haul him out of the city, it says, to a place of execution. Now, it's very possible they dragged him right out to Calvary, to Golgotha. Jesus died on a cross there outside the city. It was the place of execution. It's entirely possible they did. They dragged Stephen out to the same place where Jesus got, died. And they stoned him. Now, stoning is a whole process. It's not just everybody grabbing stones and throwing them at Stephen. There's a certain process that they go through to stone somebody. And the first thing was to find a hill or some cliff. And the requirement was it had to be at least the height of two people or at least 12 foot high. And one of the accusers would push him off the cliff trying to kill him. And if he survived that fall, and then the next step was to pick up a very big stone. It was required that the next stone be one so heavy it took two men to lift it, so somewhere around 100 pounds, and then they were to drop the 100-pound stone on him. And he, if he was still alive after that, then they threw stones at him until he was dead. But once again, Stephen will act just like Jesus. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You remember Jesus on the cross, what he prayed before he died? He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So Stephen prays, receive my spirit, Lord. So first pushed over a cliff, and then one big huge stone dropped on him. Crushed by the blows, I'm sure. He crawls up onto his knees. Verse 60. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Just like Jesus. Jesus had prayed when they were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, just like Jesus. And then you notice very carefully what the text says. He fell asleep. He died. That is, his spirit left his body before all the other stones were cast. Jesus took his spirit. He was the first man to die for the new cause, defending the church of Jesus 
and accusing the Jewish leaders of the murder of Jesus. He was the first man to die defending the faith. His is the only one in the Bible that's described to us. But I want you to see there's one more wonderful thing in this text. If I were to ask you, where is Jesus right now? The correct answer would be, Jesus is seated on the right hand of power by the throne of God. In Stephen's vision, he says, I see Jesus standing. Not seated, but standing. Why does Jesus stand? Because he wants us to know he's there to help. He's there to use his power to assist us in our trials. He's there to actively take part in answering our prayers. And when Stephen was being stoned, Jesus was there to help and to hear Stephen's prayers and to pull Stephen's spirit out of his body before they could crush him to death with the stones. And there was Jesus standing, all excited. He's excited up there, looking down, saying, come on up here, Stephen, I got you. I got you. Come on up. You sure did well when you acted like I did. So standing up and reaching down, Jesus said, come on up high, my son. Come on up here with me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. My friends, Jesus doesn't sit idly by when we need help. He's a very present help in a time of need, actively taking his part in our case. He stands by the throne because he can't sit by and watch. He's completely involved in responding to our needs. He stands in the seat of power, by the throne of God, reaching down to us in our need, completely involved in our case. Oh, how wonderful that Stephen said, I see Jesus standing. My friends, think of Jesus standing. Will you trust him? Will you put your life in his care? Will you be confident and say, I know Jesus will help me. I know he'll be my strength and my deliverer. And when my day comes, I hope I can be just like Jesus, like Stephen was. Just like Jesus in the way we live and just like Jesus in the way we die. And what a glorious meeting when Jesus stands to receive you into his kingdom. Wow. May we all hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May God bless you as you trust in him with all your heart and be like Stephen. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you make us just like you, that you show us what it is to be full of the Spirit of God, and to know the truth and proclaim it. But then most of all, that we call on Jesus in any time, any dark day, any trial we have, knowing he will actively come to our aid. That he is a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, we believe that. We believe it so. We trust you. 
And for all the world around us, there's nobody that we trust as much as you. So we put our faith in you and ask that you will make us full of confidence in God and trusting Jesus that he will step up and help us when we ask for it. Bless us, Lord, we pray as we look at these things. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to stand together. Page number 387. Standing as we sing, 387. Face to face with Christ my Savior. What will it be when we arrive there face to face? 387. Face to face. Page 387.
our hearts would be pure as we stand before you. We pray that our love for you would be strong and that we, as we are called to do things in this earth, would know what we ought to do and would follow you. And then when we are called to stand for you, we pray that we would. We pray that we would be fearless and we pray that you would be there standing ready for us. We are grateful that you have loved us so much. And we know someday we will be face to face with you. We just ask that our hearts would be pure standing before you and ready to do what we need to do. We thank you for the story of Stephen and how he stood for you. We just pray that as we go out from this place, you protect us, be with us, and give us the strength we need to do what is right. Pray for all these things. Bring us back safely here to worship you in your name.